Well, hello, my name is Andrew Martin. I am the youth pastor here at Christ the King, and it is my privilege uh, to welcome you to our service today. Uh, we are so thankful that you would join us and uh, participate as together we lift our voices in song and in prayer, and as we are uh, changed and shaped through the Spirit's power uh, through the Word of God. So welcome, and thank you for being with us. And we are going through a sermon series right now in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. And so I would invite you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 13. And it is in 1 Samuel 13 where we will be exploring the question, how do we respond when we feel the pressures of life? So hear now the reading of God's word. Saul lived for one year and then became king. And when he had reigned for two years over Israel, Saul chose 3,000 men of Israel. 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash and the hill country of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan and Gibeah of Benjamin. The rest of the people he sent home, every man to his tent. Jonathan defeated the garrison of the Philistines that was at Gibeah, and the Philistines heard of it. And Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard it said that Saul had defeated the garrison of the Philistines, and also that Israel had become a stench to the Philistines. And the people were called out to join Saul at Gilgal. And the Philistines mustered to fight with Israel 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and troops like the sand on the seashore in multitude. They came up and encamped at Michmash to the east of Bethavan. And when the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble, for the people were hard-pressed. The people hid themselves in caves, and in holes, and in rocks, and in tombs, and in cisterns. And some Hebrews crossed the fords of the Jordan to the land of God and Gilead. Saul was still at Gilgal, and all the people followed him, trembling. He waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And Samuel rose and went up from Gilgal. The rest of the people went up after Saul to meet the army. They went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin. And Saul numbered the people who were present with him, about 600 men. And Saul and Jonathan, his son, and the people who were present with them stayed in Geba of Benjamin. But the Philistines encamped at Michmash. And raiders came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies. One company turned toward Ophrah to the land of Shual, 
Another company turned toward Beth Horan, and another company toward, turned toward the border that looks down on the valley of Zeboim, toward the wilderness. Now there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel, for the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make themselves swords or spears. But every one of the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen his plowshare, his mattock, his axe, or his sickle. And the charge was two-thirds of a shekel for the plowshares and for the mattocks, and a third of a shekel for sharpening the axes and for setting the goads. So on the day of the battle, there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people with Saul and Jonathan. But Saul and Jonathan, his son, had them. And the garrison of the Philistines went out to the pass of Michmash. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you that you are good and that you are loving. And out of your love and kindness, you have given us your word. And Father, we pray this morning that through the power of your spirit, that we would be shaped more and more in the people who love you and who trust you and who follow you no matter what circumstances we face. Because you have pursued us, you have made us your own, and you have given us all that we need to do so. And so we ask now that you would be with us and teach us and shape us this morning through your word and through your spirit. And it is in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. Well, we all have dates from world history or our personal lives uh, that are significant. And perhaps one of those great dates for many of you is May 25th, 1977. That's the day that the first Star Wars film was released in theaters. Episode 4, A New Hope. Some may remember where they were sitting on opening night, or others may have watched in the family living room as a kid with their parents. But all of us who have seen this movie can remember the epic scenes of space and of lasers, of Darth Vader's iconic breathing, and of course, lightsaber battles. And one of these famous scenes takes place on the Imperial Death Star. Luke Skywalker and Han Solo, Chewbacca and Princess Leia are in the midst of an intense laser gun shootout with the infamous stormtroopers. And outnumbered and outgunned, they are looking for a way to escape. And seeing a hatch in one of the walls, they dive in without hesitation. Well, that is all except for Chewie, who Han Solo has to kick through the door while saying, I don't care what you smell. And we soon learn why Chewie didn't want to dive in as they all crash and splash down into the rubbish and filthy water as they escape into a garbage room. But this just isn't just any garbage room. As they're standing knee deep in the slime and the filth, they hear the walls begin to creak. And Han Solo says, I've got a bad feeling about this. And suddenly they realize that they have escaped out of the proverbial fire, frying pan and into the fire. As Luke cries out, the walls are moving. They are in a trash compactor. The walls are closing in and they're about to be crushed with the garbage. They are literally feeling the pressure and are responding desperately. Always the assertive leader, Princess Leia shouts, don't just stand there, brace it with something. And Han Solo scrambles to find a, a piece of metal to brace against the walls. Chewie tries desperately to press against them with his powerful arms. And Luke begins crying frantically for help into his radio, 3PO, come in 3PO. 
They are hard-pressed, and they are responding with desperation. And this is the kind of pressure that Saul and the Israelites were feeling in this passage. In verses 1 through 4, the, the story starts off well. Saul gathers soldiers and wins a small victory over the enemy. And if we remember chapter 8, this is exactly what the Israelite people had hoped for when they asked for a king. But this small victory is short-lived. At the end of verse 4, we see that the Israelites have become a stench to their enemy. And in verse 5, the Philistines respond by bringing a crushing military force against them. And in verses 6 through 7, we see clearly that Israel is feeling the pressure. They respond in desperation, hiding in all kinds of places, or even fleeing, in some cases, from the land. And this experience is something that we can relate to as well. Because we all feel all kinds of excruciating pressures in this world. Even more so now as we, as we battle COVID-19. Maybe it's the isolation that comes with social distancing. We feel the pressure of loneliness and we wonder how we can bear it one day more. On the flip side, maybe it's the involuntary game of family sardines that comes with social distancing. Suddenly we find ourselves in close quarters with family members for unprecedented lengths of time. We feel the pressure of irritation and annoyance. And we wonder how we can possibly live lives of peace and patience in these conditions. Maybe it's our jobs. As the days of social distancing pile up and the days we are able to work dwindle down, we feel the pressure of wondering how we will make ends meet financially. Like Saul and the Israelites, we feel these things. And the question we must ask ourselves is, how do we respond when we feel the pressure? We've seen the response of many of the Israelites as they hid or as they fled. But the main focus in this passage is on how Saul responds. And he responds well, at least at first. In verses 4 and 8, Saul had relocated his camp to a place called Gilgal, and he began to wait there, as Samuel had instructed. But then Saul begins to feel the pressure increase. In verses 8 and then 11 through 12, the few remaining people he had were scattering from him. He expects the Philistines' massive army to, to crush him at any moment. And in the face of disaster, he is afraid that the Lord may not help him because the sacrifices have not been made. And so in verse 9, he offers the sacrifices himself rather than waiting for Samuel. He was feeling the pressure and he responded by forsaking the Lord and taking matters into his own hands. But not only this, in verses 11 through 12, when Samuel arrives and asks, what have you done? Saul responds by defending his disobedience. He even tries to blame Samuel. He points the finger saying, because you did not come, Samuel. I had to force myself to do this. And this reminds us that we do the exact same thing. When we feel the pressure, we often take matters into our own hands. We forsake the Lord by disobeying his commandments. And we find many excuses to justify what we've done or to shift the blame. I mean, think back on the different, the different ways we mentioned earlier where we feel hard-pressed 
Or maybe others that came to your mind. Maybe it's the involuntary game of family sardines where we feel the pressure of irritation and annoyance rising. And so perhaps parents begin to say, well, clearly waiting on the Lord and showing a firm but controlled patience is not working with my children. So I have no choice but to unleash my anger and my rage at them just to get their attention or some small fraction of obedience. Or kids, maybe you do the same thing. Erupting in anger when your parents or your siblings begin to get on your nerves or maybe giving them the cold shoulder, the silent treatment, making it impossible for them to talk with you. Maybe it's our jobs. We feel the pressure of wondering how we will make things meet financially or the isolation that we feel if we're alone in our homes. And rather than resting in the Lord and taking these cares to Him, we respond by by taking our cares to things online or at the bottom of a bottle or, or dark places in the far recesses of our mind to escape and to seek comfort in ways that are dishonoring to the Lord. Perhaps even while pointing the finger at God saying, you are the one who has not kept me out of this situation. I had no other choice because I was not feeling any comfort or relief from you, God. Like Saul, when we feel the pressure we often respond by forsaking the Lord. And friends, our passage makes clear that forsaking the Lord, no matter what circumstances we are in, is foolish. There is no reason or excuse we can offer to justify disobedience or, and rebellion. Look in verses 13 through 14 at how Samuel responds. He has heard all of the reasons that Saul has given for his disobedience. And what does he say? You have done foolishly. And friends, this can be the only assessment of our own sins, regardless of the reasons we offer. No matter what kind of pressure we are feeling, it is a foolish thing to respond by forsaking the Lord. So where does that leave us? As Christians, or as anyone who is familiar with Christianity knows, Christians are supposed to follow the Lord at all times. But this is easier said than done, right? Of course. Of course that's right. I mean, look back at the pressures Saul was facing. His army was fleeing. There was a crushing enemy force on the doorstep. These were legitimate, very intense pressures. And the same thing is true of the things that we face in our own lives. And so while we clearly see our call to obedience in Samuel's response to Saul, we also need to understand that Samuel was not saying that God doesn't care about our troubles. God cares very much about the pressures that we feel. Listen to what the Psalms say about God. In Psalm 56, verse 8, he says, You have kept count of my tossings. You have put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Friends, brothers and sisters, the Lord sees and cares deeply about us and all of the pressures that we feel. And what's more, he is present with us in these circumstances. In Psalm 46, verse 1, he says, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. He is with his people to comfort and to support them no matter what challenges in life may arise. The Lord is the one who calls us to obedience. 
but he does it without ignoring or dismissing or minimizing the very real and sometimes very severe pressures that we are feeling. And in 1 Samuel chapter 12, last week's passage, God had promised that he would never forsake his people. And this is an important reminder because our chapter here ends on a very somber note. In verses 17 through 18, the enemy seems unstoppable as they move freely throughout Israel with no one to stand against them. And in verses 19 through 22, the Philistines have furthermore removed the Israelites' ability to fight by making it impossible for them to have access to weapons, while at the same time placing a heavy economic toll on God's people. But these enemies would not prevail. The Lord would not abandon Israel here. No, he would deliver them once again. And at the end of verse 14, God revealed that later he would give them the king that they needed. One who the Lord had chosen. The king, the whole book of 1 Samuel has been leading up to. King David. And it was through this Davidic line of kings that the ultimate king we need would come, our King Jesus Christ. You see, the God who calls us to follow him, no matter what we face, is the same God who loves us so much that he sent his own son, Jesus. And King Jesus knows what it's like to feel the pressure because he felt the ultimate pressure of the cross. In Luke 22, while praying in the garden before he was crucified, Jesus felt pressure so intense that he sweat drops of blood. But in the face of pressure, Jesus followed the will of his father and he went to the cross. And the blood that he shed on the cross pays for every time we have ever forsaken God while we were feeling the pressure. And that is the incredible good news of the gospel that God is merciful to his children and through the blood of Jesus forgives us when we have sinned against him. And this leads us to rejoice with thanksgiving because we are all like Saul. We have all forsaken the Lord time and again when we are hard pressed and we know that sin is serious with serious consequences. In chapter 12, the Lord has warned his people that sin would lead to their being swept away. Here in this chapter, verse 14, Saul suffered the consequences of sin through the loss of his kingdom. And in Romans chapter 6, we learn that the wages of all sin is death. But those who are in Christ will not be swept away. They will not face the punishment for their sins because Jesus has taken the punishment for us on the cross. And those who confess his name are forgiven. And, and this is a beautiful and, by that same blood that forgives us, we have access to all of the resources we need to follow God when we feel the pressure. And this matters because we need a power outside of ourselves to follow God. I mean, this is what Han Solo and Princess Leah, what Chewie and Luke Skywalker needed while they were trapped and the trash compactor. They were powerless to escape their doom and continue their mission. But then, right before the walls closed in, they suddenly heard an outside voice. 3PO came through on the radio. 
He directed R2-D2 to stop the compactor, and they were saved. And how did they respond? They laughed, and they shouted, and they hugged one another for joy. They knew that the fight wasn't over. They were still knee-deep, struggling through the filth. They had not yet escaped the Death Star, but they rejoiced because of what had been done for them. And because they had been rescued, they were able to respond and continue their mission. They were delivered and empowered because an outside force had acted on their behalf. And how much more can we rejoice for what has been done for us? Because of Jesus' obedience, he has rescued us from death, our ultimate enemy, that would have crushed us as the penalty for our sins. And while this doesn't mean that our current pressures suddenly vanish, it doesn't mean that, it does mean that just as we have been forgiven, we have also received assurance that King Jesus will have the ultimate victory over all the other pressures that we face. And that he will give us all the things that we need to press on and to follow him when we feel the pressures today while waiting for his final return. Because God always gives his people all that they need. He transforms us from having hearts that fear that the Lord will not provide. I mean, that's, that's one of the key reasons for why we forsake the Lord. Our lack of trust makes it seem impossible to follow and obey. That's why Saul had disobeyed. We don't trust that the Lord will follow through on his promises to care for us when we follow him. But the Lord is faithful to his people and gives us hearts that trust him and are empowered to follow him. We see this throughout scripture and we see it in the gospels. We see the apostle Peter who forsook and denied Jesus because he was afraid. But in 2 Peter chapter 1, years later, we see that this same fearful Peter had been transformed by the grace of Jesus so that he was empowered to face death itself and yet, in the face of that pressure, continue following the Lord to whom he had entrusted himself. And this trust was well-placed because time and again the Lord has shown himself as the one who can be trusted to keep his promises so that we can follow him as his people with great confidence. So what will following God look like for us? The answer will depend on the different things that we're facing. But whatever it looks like, following the Lord is possible because the Lord who has called us to follow and obey him through King Jesus has given us all that we need to follow him. And we can do it with the assurance that one day we will no longer feel the pressures of this world. But as Titus 2 reminds us, we will rather face our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah and amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are faithful to us, that though we forsake you time and again, you do not forsake us. But through Jesus, you forgive us and through the Spirit who He has sent and who you have sent, you give us all that we need to follow you. And so we pray, Lord, that out of thanksgiving and out of love for you and by the power of your Spirit that you have given us, that we would be people who rejoice and who give thanks and who follow you all of our days as we await your blessed return. And it is in the powerful name of Jesus that we make this prayer. Amen.